Hello, Tiffany here. Anna and I and Chris, the team from Is This Working, have a new show called Totally Fine with Tiffany Philippou. And that's where me, Tiffany Philippou, interviews guests about times that they've pretended to be totally fine. Now we're going to play you one of the episodes from the show. Like what you hear, check out Totally Fine with Tiffany Philippou wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Totally Fine with Tiffany Philippou, a podcast about those life-altering experiences that shape who we are today and those times when we were not totally fine. I'm your host, Tiffany Philippou, and I've written a memoir, Totally Fine and Other Lies I've Told Myself. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest who'll tell me their story about a time that they pretended to be totally fine. I know what it's like to pretend to be okay, and that's what my book is about. After my boyfriend Richard died by suicide, I spent most of my 20s pretending that this never happened. I know that it's not just what happens to us, but the stigma we feel and how we suppress it that's the real problem. So here's why we're having these conversations to quiet the shame monster and to remind so this us on a Friday, that we're not alone. On Monday, I was already I was back at my desk. This time the desk was in the attic of my mum's house, um, sending out pitches and trying to be a freelancer. I reference head tilting in my book as well. Um, no one likes pity. And I wonder whether, because yeah, head tilting, it's not meeting you where you are. It's not empathy. It's its looking down, right? And I think probably what happened um, is your response to that was feeling the need to be overly proving or excited about what was happening as a new freelancer to sort of prove to people because no one wants their pity you want to prove you're doing all right this is what this show is all about the need or feeling to do that then actually makes what's going on inside feel worse borrow a line from the psychotherapist esther perel we take work home and we take home work we're somehow expected to not have emotions at work but that's really where all of them really flare up me and you are people who've sort of stepped out of the structures and um, I think the head tilting and that shame comes from, oh, you've been rejected by the structure, by the company, by the overlords, kind of dictate whether we're good or not. It hurts and I pretend that I'm okay with it, but I'm just not. And I know you're not supposed to say that and you're supposed to kind of just roll with the punches, but it does sting. It's impossible not to focus on that one harsh line and everyone around you is like, oh, just be grateful anyone's even giving you a review. They don't phrase it like that, but it's kind of how the phrasing, how, how, how it lands. And it, it really, really stings and it, 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 hurt, it's, it, it does hurt. For our first episode, I'm joined by Anna Coggiorado. Anna is a journalist, author and podcaster. And of course, my co-host from our other podcast, Is This Working? Anna writes about business, culture and technology and her writing appears in the New York Times, the FT, Business Insider and many others. She's also published a book called You're the Business, which is essential reading for anyone who works for themselves. And one week after getting laid off from her job as a news editor, Anna started her newsletter, which has been wildly successful. And it's where she writes very raw and honest pieces about how our careers make us feel. Anna is, of course, my best friend and longtime pal. And so it's very exciting to be launching the show with a very special episode from her. 
Welcome to the show, Anna. Thanks so much for having me here. Well, so today you're in the hot seat, but actually you're also the executive producer of this show. Um, Can you tell us, this was all your idea, so can you tell us uh, how you came to it and why we're here and what, what this is all about? Yeah, um, this is actually really fun. I mean, so today will be the only time probably that listeners will hear directly from me in this podcast, I think. I mean, maybe, who knows, I might pop in some in some other place, but um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hosting this podcast. I am, uh, well, I've given myself the job title of executive producer, um, but really what that means is just a glorified way of saying that I'm behind the scenes. Um, so I can't remember exactly how this idea popped into my head, but as everyone knows, you've written a book, a memoir called Totally Fine. And I feel like I've very much been on the behind the scenes journey of getting ready for the book to be launched. And somewhere along the line, the idea just popped into my head that, you know what, it would be really fun to take what I think is the core of your book, which is talking about a life changing event, and then the subsequent impact that had on you over quite a long period of time and talking to other people who've been through similar things. And it's not so much, because really to me, the message of your book is not so much that it's the thing that happens to us, but it's the stories that we tell ourselves around that. So obviously in your case, what we're talking about is grief and bereavement, but I think so many of us have stories about life-changing events that we pretend to be okay with. We tell ourselves and each other's that we're totally fine when really we're not. And that can take on so many guises. Um, And so we're putting together this show to explore all of that. Um, And from my perspective, it's actually been so refreshing to do a creative project and be behind the scenes and not be the face of it. and just kind of like play the pseudo boss. I'm not really the boss, we're a partnership. But um, so that's just been really fun. It's just something new for me in my career as well. Uh, so yeah, very excited. Yeah, I um, I enjoy calling you the boss. It's quite nice to have a boss. Uh, when you work for yourself, you sometimes have to take on too much responsibility. So I enjoy having a boss. Um, but I also really like the point that you make about the purpose of the book and the relatability because yeah I'm using my experience of suicide grief which has was shrouded in shame Um, but what I really hope with the book is for people who have their own experiences and who are carrying their own shame which is all of us they can see it as a helpful tool to explore as you say it's not necessarily what happens but how we respond and how we're almost programmed to respond because of the culture we live in and so yeah I'm really excited that you came up with this idea because it really is the point of what the work that I do and the work that we do and also it's so important to me to talk about these sorts of stories and share these stories because that really is the cure for shame so here we are on the show ready to talk about our times of shame and when we felt that we had to pretend everything was fine and had to suppress something um so yeah brilliant idea thank you and thank you also for being in the hot seat today my pleasure I can't wait to be well this is not a grilling I mean you're not you're not Jerry Paxman here um but no this is just this is a lovely space for us to to talk about our feelings 
there you go. So let's begin. So what is the life altering experience that changed you? It was losing my job very unexpectedly. So it was 2017. It was summer. Um, It was warm out. Actually, it wasn't. It was an unremarkable day in a fairly average UK summer. And um, I basically got called into after lunch. I got called. I got called up via Skype from the HQ and my boss's boss was in a room with someone from HR because I was in the London office and the HQ is in New York. And they basically started to tell me that I was being made redundant. Um, and I kind of grabbed my laptop and scurried off into a meeting room. Um, and yeah, I got made redundant there and then, and it was a very kind of dramatic, um, immediate redundancy, uh, it was a case of hand in your laptop at the end of the day and go away and don't come back on Monday kind of thing, Um, which for context is not unusual in America. And the company, as I said, the the HQ is what, well, is and was in America, uh, but I was in the London office. In the UK, it's not quite so common to be made redundant kind of there and then on the spot. Um, And the and and when it happened i thought it was just me being fired um but then i went back to my desk and i was told i wasn't allowed to say anything um i'm pretty sure i told my colleagues who were sitting opposite me i kind of like mouthed like i've been fired um but then i was looking i went back and i sort of looked at my computer and i had all of these messages and my colleagues in new york were also being made redundant and then someone sent me a link to a news article which said that um, it was a company-wide thing and that lots of departments, including ours, was be- were being shut down. Um, and I'm not saying that I was, I wasn't told that I was being fired, but what I heard in that meeting was, that's what I, I heard because to be told something like that is actually very shocking and it's quite hard to process all of the information that's being thrown at you. Um, so yeah, I um, kind of, hung around for another couple of hours um, and then handed my laptop in, went to the pub, called my mom at some point and that was it. Um, that was That's the last time I ever worked for an employer and it's the last time I ever worked um, full-time in an office. Um, it will be five years this, this summer um, and it's been really interesting, and this is obviously what we're going to get into today, but um, it was an experience that from that place of career crisis, because to lose your job is kind of the worst thing that can possibly happen to your career, um, so many good things happened, and my career is so much better for it. However, Lately, I have been realizing that there is a lot of stuff that I didn't really process very well at the time about that experience. And also, I really did pretend to be totally fine about it um, for quite a few different reasons. Um, And it's only kind of, I think, possibly prompted by the events of the last two years and the um, pandemic, which has made all of us kind of question the role of our work and 
um, the role of our jobs in our lives and all of these things. Um, but it's only lately that I've realized that probably there's a lot of stuff that I still hold on to from that experience that has still very much impacted me has, has continues to impact me today. And also really, um, I guess affected the course of what happened in the wake of that job loss. So yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to delving into that more and seeing how it shows up today, but just to go back to the exact happening it sounds really shocking because often when there's redundancies sometimes there's some murmurings or some sort of build-up or companies know it's coming but am I right in thinking it was completely a complete shock and came from nowhere these things never come from nowhere and I'm pretty sure that I might if my memory serves me correctly I'd gone for lunch with two of my colleagues an hour before this happened and we were talking about how we thought we weren't sure what was happening with our department. And there were lots of, the writing was on the wall. It was a constant kind of situation where we'd want to do more interesting projects and we were really hamstrung by budgets. And it really felt like we were sort of being told that we weren't hitting targets, but yet those targets kind of kept move, moving and, and all of these things. And, um, but then at the same time, it always is, a massive shock when these things happen when even when you're expecting something it's still always going to be a shock when it does actually happen um this is by the way not the first time that i have this is the first time that i was made redundant but i have come very close to redundancy a number of times in well one significant time before that and that really was a shock um but also, I think partly because of that previous experience where there was this very, and that was a very different experience and then there was a really long period of uncertainty in which I didn't know what was going to happen with my job. What was very shocking to me about this was that this was an overnight shutdown. That part I was not expecting. I didn't, re didn't, it didn't cross my mind that we would just be, although actually if that's true, that would have been quite naive of me because I work in the media where it is actually happens, unfortunately, uh, with all too much frequency that um, media outlets, digital publications do get shut down pretty much overnight. Um, that part was really shocking. And also kind of, I suppose the manner in which it happened, I just happened to, you know, I, ha I was in a satellite office at the time um, and the rest of my team was somewhere else and so it was delivered to me I know now I know now it's very common for stuff like this to happen unfortunately remotely but for this to kind of be delivered uh, at a distance was also um sh yeah shocking and kind of not not what I was expecting at all and also I was curious to ask when you got back from your desk and you're in shock why was it that you were mouthing, I'm fired? Why was that where you were going to rather than I've been made redundant? That's a great question. Um, I I mean, that's definitely, I really need to underscore this. That is a me problem. I mean, there were lots of things that, I mean, a firing or a redundancy or getting laid off, job loss is really never easy to navigate, neither for the person who it's happening to, nor for the person delivering it either. Um, and more often than not, these things are just, they're just always awkward and messy, but yeah, this was a me thing. It, this was a, um, 
I think it was partly because it's just, it was a lot to compute. And I don't think, I either didn't hear or hadn't been told that the whole department was being shut down. So it just jumped to, oh, I've been fired because I'm bad at my job. Because I'm someone who's scared of getting in trouble and at the slightest criticism, I'm assume that what I hear is, <clears throat> sorry, what I hear is you've done a bad job. I go from zero to a hundred very quickly in that respect. It goes from kind of, um, oh, I didn't, I have a, had a typo in my email. And so, and now I have been fired, kind of, you know, and now I'm going to get fired kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know whether that's something that is kind of a normal thing to experience, I suppose, when you're when you're hearing something that you really weren't expecting, um, or whether it just, like I said, just says a lot about me, a lot more about me. Um, so if I if we if we can go back to that, so whether or not it was, I just wanted to pick up on something you said earlier about maybe you should have known because it's media, but you know, the reality is you were just going to work one day and then the rug was pulled out under you and that was extremely shocking. So you experience that and then your initial reaction is to almost blame yourself um, and presume it's just you because you didn't have the information around the rest of the team. What other, if you can remember, what other thoughts and reactions were running through your mind in that immediate aftermath or the day or two afterwards as well this might be me now recasting history my revisionist history however I think I also felt a huge amount of relief because and this I do actually have documentation for so I did for a while before this happened I really seriously considered going freelance and I just didn't really know how to do it and I was really scared but I found this notebook and I dated it and I'd written on it Anna's big plan for going freelance and I wrote down what I hoped to get out of being freelance and all of these things and started making a rough outline of what kind of financials I'd need to make to make this happen and I put a date on it and that that date was preceded the um redundancy so I think there was quite a bit of relief and almost I suppose again who knows this might be my um uh hindsight or you know me now kind of rewriting history but I think I probably did actually feel a bit excited as well um I was kind of um I was kind of thinking, well, and this is such a, this is, I think it's such an insight to the way my mind works, but I thought, well, it cannot get much worse than this. I, what had been stopping me from trying to be freelance was the fear of it all, of it not working and that I would have left a job in order to do this thing and it would have fallen flat on its face. But then in the absence of having a job, it just felt like, well, it's not going to, can't get much worse than this. So I might as well try. Um, so there was, there was that going on as well. I mean, there was a certain amount of, um, frustration and also to be totally honest, you know, there's a lot, there was a certain amount of anger as well that, um, you know, it was a hard job that I did and one that I put, um, quite a lot into and had made significant sacrifices for to then just 
um, to then feel like I, um, I just, I, I always felt like my hands were tied that I did know that the project we were working on the department we were in was, you know, not doing as well as it, um, as it had the potential to do, but just felt so much like it, it was almost impossible to get it to where it needed to be. And so the, so there was just so much, there was so much swirling around in me. Um, but I do think that my actions immediately after the um, redundancy are also very telling. I decided to go freelance straight away. So this happened on a Friday and on Monday, I was already... I was back at my desk. This time the desk was in the attic of my mum's house, um, sending out pitches and trying to be a freelancer. Um, and I remember over the weekend, my mum had taken me out for lunch and said, you know, you're going to need some time to process this. And a, and, and a job loss is, um, is a really big thing. Um, you know, you can work out what you need to do and you know how you're going to find another job and all of this. And I just it just came out of my mouth. Like I have another job already. I'm freelance. I'm going to do this freelance thing. Um, so yeah, it was really interesting experience. It was kind of, it's not, I don't want to uh, over-exaggerate here and say that it was kind of like uh, sort of like an outer body experience, but there was something I found myself quite a few moments in those kind of early days after it happened where like something would come out of my mouth without me necessarily I think a lot before I speak, usually. Um, but I found myself just saying stuff just would come out of my mouth or, or just, I would almost make a decision without... It would come from somewhere in me. It's fascinating to me, particularly the story about being back at your desk on Monday morning. Because um, I have my own experience of job loss. And it took me months to get back to work. And I too, funnily enough, went for lunch with my mum. <laughs> and my mum said, it's going to take you some a while to process this and, and, and be in shock. I guess I'm curious, well, was you going back to work pretending it was all fine? Or talk to me a bit about that. Oh, 100%. That's where the pretending to be fine happened. But I think it was... I think that actually it's only it's only been recently that I realized that that's what I was doing because um I really wanted I do actually I think somewhere at the back of my head there was a voice saying even though you can be really excited and actually see this as the silver lining and that's a really positive thing you, there's still some stuff you need to kind of process here um and it's taken a while to realize that because something that I have realized over the years is that I have, you know, to put this in as a really concrete example, I have always benchmarked my salary that I was on when I um, got made redundant. I've always benchmarked that as the minimum I want to earn as a freelancer entirely because I want to prove to, I don't really know who myself you know, the amorphous kind of spectre of my former employer, because it's not, a, you know, it's not like a, it's no like single person that I'm thinking of, um, that I can do better financially, or at the very least the same, entirely off my own back. Um, 
but yeah, there was a certain amount of kind of, I'm going to power through this. I'm going to show them I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let this beat me. Um, you know, there was definitely that going on. But what was a tricky thing is that there was a certain amount, as I said, there was a certain amount of excitement about the whole thing too. Um, because I had um, been wanting to do this, but was too scared. So it's just, it's these it's these kind of this tension, these kind of conflicting feelings. Um, and I'm someone who's, you know, I'm bad enough at identifying how I'm feeling. But when I have got multiple feelings that are um, in conflict with one another, or whenever there's a bit of ambivalence, that just throws me through a loop and I just don't know what to do with it. Maybe you won't be able to answer this then, but what 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 else do you think you were shoving down by pretending you were being totally fine? What other feelings was had had the experience sort of stirred up for you? It's a really good question. Um, I think, I mean, this isn't a feeling, this is more of a kind of belief system, but I just remember so vividly um, someone quite senior on the team. And again, you know, like I'm, I'm still in contact with my direct boss from this time and even um, their boss as well. So this wasn't like a, you know, this wasn't kind of like a sort of problem with, you know, this wasn't a toxic boss problem at all. Um, And I just remember the senior person saying to me that, oh, this has got nothing to do with your ability to do the job. You were a model employee for something along those lines. Um, you know, this is just a business decision that was made way above my pay grade, their pay grade. You know, this was just a kind of a figure in a spreadsheet that didn't add up, so it was cut. And that kind of, it made me feel, it was really important that I heard that because I think that is what, I really held on to that um, as a reminder that to not take this as a, a sort of a slight on my ability to do my job. However, it also really kind of shattered any shred of belief that I may have still had that the workplace is fair, <laughs> essentially. Um, and that is kind of, I don't know, it does really sort of, again, it does kind of mar how I just mar how I look at work, careers, jobs. And it's, I do kind of, I do now kind of have a bit of a sort of negative lens. I think when I look at this, particularly the media, um, the media industry, the kind of creator economy, all of these sort of new sort of tech media hybrid spaces. Um, but yeah, that's not exactly. Uh, I've sort of I've skirted around your question because that's that's not a feeling. That's more of a, a thought. Well, it sounds like it. This sort of experience they feed into the beliefs we hold about ourselves, almost like jabbing, jabbing us. I bet you've said this to me once. Actually, it's um, people p- pressing your buttons that are already there to push. Um, yeah, press, pressing buttons that someone else installed. Yes, exactly. Um, but I also think what um, what's interesting, and you keep coming up talking about the tensions and the conflicts and the paradoxes that exist within the experience. 
one that jumped out to me is like, you kind of needed to hear it wasn't about you and your ability to do a job. But on the other hand, that therefore meant that the system is unfair and the world you're working in and everything we've been told about structures and the workplace is essentially being shaken. So that <laughs> that's also really hard to process. Yeah, it is really hard to process. Um, because if anything, that's kind of, it's so much more amorphous. You know, it's so fashionable to talk about like the system, system this, system that. Um, that's huge. These systems are massive. When we, what we're really talking about here are these socioeconomic systems like capitalism, like the patriarchy, all of these <laughs> things. They're massive and very amorphous. Yeah. And there's not an individual that you can poke at and say, you are to blame here. Um, and like I said, again, kind of going back to this thing, if there is no, um, you know, okay, I don't feel great about the particular individuals who um, actually delivered the redundancy to me. Um, but they really weren't, I didn't have much dealings with them on a day-to-day -day basis. The actual people I was working with on a day-to-day -day basis, I have no ill will towards them. Um, and like I said, I'm still, um, I'm still friends with these people. Um, and in a way, in a kind of like perverse way, it's, it's, it's for me always harder when there's not clear places that you can put the blame or, or specific people that you can, um, point to as being the problem um because yeah i do often find myself now um second guessing myself kind of never quite sure um is this unfair is this you know what's really going on here is this a me problem is this a them problem even you know just in kind of like interactions i now have on a day-to-day -day basis with say for example clients or whoever it might be um i do feel like i've just it's left me it's not left me it's weird it's not left me doubting my abilities but it's just sort of left me doubting the environment that i operate in i sound very paranoid <laughs> well i mean everything was shaken from beneath you so that's traumatic. And so you're going to be paranoid moving forward because you can't trust what you were previously told, which makes sense to me as a reaction. H how else does that show up for you? So this is something I've been reflecting on recently. It's, I, I really, like I said, cause for me, all of this is a, was a massive silver lining because I wouldn't swap being, I wouldn't swap my current job situation. It, it, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm never going to say never, but it's, it's my ideal situation right now. And I just don't see any job that I would want over the one that I have currently. Um, that being said, there are some things about freelancing that something you and I are actually talking about recently. It, it can be strangely hard to have personal growth as a freelancer because you, or professional growth, I suppose, um, because you're kind of in this place where it's actually very easy to turn stuff down. Um, it's really easy to walk away from things. And like I said, I think that what, how this has kind of shown up for me lately is that I kind of always skew to thinking that the situation is negative and that the, you know, the, the client is trying to, take me for a ride or is, is, 
has ill intent or something like that. And the problem in the double-edged sword of, of the nature of how I work is that I can step away from stuff so easily. And I do worry that sometimes I do go from zero to a hundred a bit too quickly and step away from stuff and go and sort of bounce around from things rather than grow. Um, and it is also, it's, it's also just a problem because there's, it's also, again, it's a problem of the way I, of the way in which we work because it's just really hard to actually get constructive feedback because you're kind of hearing from strangers on the internet who are either extremely praising of your work, which is always of course, wonderful to hear. And I love it. Um, and it means so much. Or at the other end, it's people being not just critical, but just unnecessarily mean and just, you know, um, not critiquing your work, but just slating your work. And you, there's not that much you can do with either of those things, um, really, in terms of actually growing. There's not one single person, like a manager would be, invested in your growth and helping you, um, you know, set consistent goals and kind of um, have your back in that way. So... Yeah, that's something that I've been, um, thankfully, I'm kind of at least now uh, semi-conscious of this. Um, so I do try really hard to um, at least bring awareness of that and kind of catch myself when I'm in those situations. And also I'm, um, over these last five years, like I have built such a solid network of support in the freelance community that I have these kind of trusted people that I go to you being one of them um to help me when I'm kind of find myself in these situations and I literally ask like is it me or them um and these people will tell me straight up so um but yeah it's that thing of these and I think that's why it's so important to sort of think about these things because the stuff follows you around in ways in which you maybe don't even necessarily realize. Um, and even something, you know, losing a job is really hard. Um, I really wasn't expecting to kind of be thinking about the many ways it's impacted me, even kind of now, five years later. There's a huge stigma around job loss as well. A hundred percent. That's yeah. That's another big piece of all of this is that, um, you I definitely felt shame about it. I uh, And weirdly, I felt shame in the situations when I, it would come up. I would say how excited I was about my new journey as a freelancer and all of these things and had all of these projects. And it was just, there was this thing, there was always this look in people's eyes of like, oh, you got made redundant, head tilt. Um, just always reminded me of that episode of Friends when Monica and Richard Burke meet and he's just got divorced and he's talking about how when he tells people he's divorced they tilt their head and say oh I'm sorry to hear that are you okay um and it was that same thing I just felt like I would be talking and talking about all of these exciting things and the only thing the person had heard was that I'd been made redundant and that was the focus and I somehow kind of felt just in that presence it's not that they were shaming me it was just that there was kind of shame in the atmosphere um and it it did rub off on me a bit i reference head tilting in my book as well um no one likes pity 
And I wonder whether, because yeah, head tilting, it's not meeting you where you are. It's not empathy. It's, it's looking down. Right. And I think probably what happened, um, is your response to that was feeling the need to be overly proving or excited about what was happening as a new freelancer to sort of prove to people because no one wants their pity. You want to prove you're doing all right. But then this is what this show is all about. The need or feeling to do that then actually makes what's going on inside feel worse. 100%. Um, because that's the thing is that, you know, and especially if we talk, what we're talking about here is in a work context that I've definitely overworked in these last five years and my work habits have they've been on such an up and down journey in this time and I do think it's in a large part driven by this again I come back to this kind of amorphous need to prove myself again to whom and to what I just don't know um but that's just really where all of that's kind of the main way in which this comes up for me and it's um it's not good or healthy. I mean, I talk a lot about a lot, a lot of what my work is now these days is actually um, looking at work and careers as, as one of the main topics that I write about both in my newsletter and in my journalism and in obviously on our other podcast is just working. Um, and it's just kind of, you can really love your job, but that still doesn't mean that it you need to overwork um and that you can you can still be very susceptible to the negative consequences of overwork of burnout and and all of those things it kind of almost weirdly makes it harder to know where to draw the line because you are enjoying what you do um but that's something that i've just become really mindful of um but it's just a really hard thing to navigate yeah, like work is still work, even though it's like you post stuff on Instagram or it kind of feels a bit more sort of fun. But I think what's quite isolating when you don't work within the structures, there's like practical stuff, like people who have salaries don't understand what our financial lives are like. Um, but there's also something a bit isolating, I think, which you've touched on is me and you are people who've sort of stepped out of the structures. And um, I think the head tilting and that shame comes from, oh, you've been rejected by the structure, by the company, by the overlords who kind of dictate whether we're good or not. And so that, but I think it's unconscious, but that's why there's a bit of that shame. Oh, you lost your job. Something must be wrong with you kind of gets projected onto us. But when you sort of step outside of that and you kind of become awakened to how, um, how messed up so much of that is and how it's, you know, as you've said, it's very unfair and it kind of works in really weird, like there's just a lot of weirdness that happens in work as well, but don't, don't get me started on that. You can go and listen to our, is this working podcast where we talk about all these sorts of things like management and offices and stuff. Um, but I think there's something quite isolating to experience that because everyone else or most other people um, just have, you know, have their jobs and so haven't had that shaken and then at the same time, the other people who've lost their jobs, probably driven by the sort of things you're describing, that need to prove the self or f fighting against something, 
end up overworking or end up sort of having this narrative, which I'm certainly guilty of, which is like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. This is like the, you know, the, the most successful people fail and, and all that kind of stuff. And so you're kind of battling with that as well, which I think's just quite intense. Yeah. It's just, there's so much conflicting and, um, just tense, messy feelings happening. Um, and it does feel, you know, you it can really hurt your head when you kind of go around in these circles of thinking, oh, you know, let's embrace failure. But then actually, uh, is is everything we're doing just in service of more success? You know, it's, it's you just feel yourself going around in these circles. Um, I mean, what's just been, what has been a really positive thing for me out of all of this is that actually increasingly my work has really been about just giving name to these things. Um, and... Um, I'm a journalist who covers business culture and technology, but what I'm really doing is in my work is writing and exploring about how our careers make us feel because we are the same person at work and at home. And um, to borrow a line from the psychotherapist Esther Perel, we take work home and we take home work to work. Um, So, we're somehow expected to not have emotions at work, but that's really where all of them really flare up. So um, out of all of this, really the biggest kind of positive has just been the fact that I've been able to just give a voice to it. And I have found a, um, a community of readers and an audience who want to hear this stuff. And I have kind of made this into my work, um, which in and of itself, these kind of layers of these sort of meta layers, um, on whether you catch me on a good day or a bad day, I have mixed feelings about that as well. Um, but nonetheless, it's just been really, really helpful. Um, because just like anything, as, um, as you talk about in your book, the only way to silence shame is to say it out loud. And how would you say you came out the other side of, this experience so I think I mentioned this a moment ago but a really big thing has been building a really strong support network around me of people who get it um so I am so blessed by the fact that my best friend who I have known whilst we still had jobs also ended up freelancing around the same time I did. Well, get losing so we a job. Ha- <laughs> the same. Also losing I, a job. What, I think, was, was, was I only- first? Was I first first one down? Or were you first? I can't remember. I mean, it was very, it was. Definitely summer. Um, yeah, it was a very similar time. Very similar So times. not, so we just, you know, I have you in my life who just gets all of this stuff. But then I have also made such good friends through the freelance community and actually lately I've actually kind of stepped up um it's not just having people to kind of moan to um we actually have you and I with um another freelancer um we have this we have a weekly check-in session and I you know I'm in whatsapp groups I'm, I'm kind of I'm taking I'm covering all my bases to make sure I'm just surrounded by people that I can talk 
to about this stuff. Um, that was a really, really key thing. Um, and also just kind of getting real. I mean, for me, it's a, again, going back to the sort of meta thing for me, I sort of made my work about work. <laughs> and so it gives me a space kind of in a professional context. I'm able to do things like, you know, I have interviewed experts about workaholism and overwork, um, and re resetting my, um, problematic relationship with, um, productivity and achievement and stuff like that um so by virtue of the of the nature of what i do you know a big part of being a journalist is that you get to call up experts and ask them questions um so i've been able to kind of address a lot of this stuff through my work itself but you do you know it doesn't necessarily have to be that way um you could do all of that stuff in different forms um be it kind of through therapy or through um your own kind of um research or reading up about these things and all of that kind of stuff like a my big mantra is kind of like looking inwards and outwards at the same time or at least simultaneously um to figure out kind of like what can you do and what's what does what do these specific things bring up in you but also what's the kind of context around them um and yeah that kind of just feels like again kind of going back to this idea of you know this just feels like a reclaiming of the narrative that what I'm really still talking about in my work is how, um, how weird jobs and careers make us feel, um, and how conflicted they do, which again, like that goes directly back to all of those conflicting feelings that I had on that day that I lost my job. Um, but it just, I just feel so much more empowered because now I'm really holding on to the narrative. I'm not someone who's to be pitied who's just lost their job I'm someone who has a really thriving career and is very happy for it um so it definitely yeah it definitely feels like a journey but it's also that thing where um kind of if you just whenever something big happens and you think like oh yeah that's it I'm done now close the close that chapter of my life never to think about it again um, some of this stuff just does continue to pop up every now and now and again in unexpected ways for better and for worse. And so it's not so much about shutting something down, pushing it away, closing the door on it. It's just about kind of, it's just now another piece of you, um, that you need to find a way to just have it exist there. Yeah, I think lots of people will take something from there because, yeah, you've been on a journey with reclaiming the narrative, but now it's looking back again another time and assessing how it is showing up in different ways. And I just think it's it's really cool that you've turned it into your work to explore this because, you know, as as we've said, the quality of our lives is very much affected by the quality of our work and we bring so much of our selves in our work and um I think I think it would be really helpful for people to follow you as you go on this journey because there's so much talk at the moment about the backlash against productivity and blah 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 and there's quite a lot of surface level conversation happening but actually there's something much deeper going on which is you know why why are we working in this way both as individuals and as a collective um so yeah, I think there's lots to lots of people to take away from this. So thank you for sharing your um, story of burying something and pretending you were fine. 
the last question I like to ask guests, and you're the first one to be asked this. Um, pretending to be fine is something that we do on a daily basis. Is there a recent example of a way that you've done that? I could fill another podcast with this. I mean, so this, for me, the reality is I do this on the daily from whether it's someone asking how I am and me saying fine when I'm not. Um, but to, to a, a kind of a, a good concrete example that's happened recently, or maybe I can kind of clump this together a bit more and sort of, um, this kind of happens to me on a fairly regular basis. Um, but it's, um, it's receiving negative feedback on the internet. Uh, so, you know, I, someone who works in public and I put my, my work out there a lot and, um, actually it's not really fair to call it negative feedback. It's just no feedback sometimes, um, or feedback that, um, is lukewarm. And I try so hard and I do have a skin that gets thicker and thicker by the day. Um, but every time someone, um, you know, says something or kind of rejects my work in some way, be it an editor kind of turning down a pitch or whatever it might be, or someone kind of um, writing a less favorable review than I would have liked of my book or something like that, giving me three stars on Amazon. Um, it hurts. And I pretend that I'm okay with it, but I'm just not. And I know you're not supposed to say that and you're supposed to kind of just roll with the punches. Um, but it does sting. I am more than with you on that. I think I, I you know, we've obviously been discussing this um, uh, because I've been getting some book reviews in and it's impossible not to focus on that one harsh line. And everyone around you is like, oh, just be grateful anyone's even giving you a review. They don't phrase it like that, but it's kind of how the phrasing, how, how, how it lands. And it, it really, really stings and it, it, it hurts. It, it does hurt. And I think people are very careless with their phrasing on the internet as well. And it's almost like the person on the other side isn't human. Um, I certainly have a policy also of not publicly giving any, saying anything negative about other creators. Um, but yeah, I think pretending it's fine is almost expected of us, but actually, we can be honest with ourselves and admit that it, it hurts. So yeah, I am with you on that one. Yeah. It's a really interesting one because, um, yeah, it is. It's like an expect sort of a, like an unwritten rule that as someone who makes content on the internet, if you get anything bad, you're supposed to be okay with it or just ignore it. Um, I'm seeing some really interesting discussions about that kind of it's um, about kind of the the level of vitriol that some journalists who work for organizations get about kind of the, the official policy being that you shouldn't speak about it publicly. But anyway, um, my my wider point is always how it's for me, it's also a very painful thing because when um, my friends come to me and they say, oh, you know, I've had this thing and there's this one line that is bad. Um, I can only see the positive. So it's, it's such a, you know, it's that thing where you, I find it so hard to turn the mirror on it. Um, because when I see it in someone else, I, I only see the positive, but when it happens to me, I only see the negative. And I've had so many conversations with creators where we're trying to talk each other down from, um, from having some kind of negative feedback and, always the conversation is when the, when it's happening to someone else, they're telling them it's never personal, but when they're experiencing it, it <laughs> always feels personal. Well, and I'm guilty of this both ways. 
I just, I, I also just don't understand what having a thick skin means because I think like, you know, my mum or something was like, just get a thick skin. I'm like, okay, I'll just go and get a thick skin. Thank you. <laughs> but I also think that we're not, um, I think being thin skin in inverted commas or sensitive in inverted commas probably makes us good at our jobs as well as creators. True. True. So it's natural that we if operate I didn't, in if that I didn't, way. If I didn't feel as much as I felt, I wouldn't be making a career about talking about feelings. So, um, yeah, it's very true. No, but I nonetheless, agree. good to just give voice to it. Yeah. And again, I think that's the whole point of this show, right? Like we don't have to fix these things or action them, but just to acknowledge that they're there and they kind of suck. I certainly makes me feel a lot better. And it really helps. Again, another theme is having that community of people you can talk to and um, discuss and be open. And I can say to someone like you, yes, it's amazing. I got this level of coverage or, or attention but I still feel a bit shit about that one line. And and being able to say that is is transformative. So we've got to keep talking and not pretending we're totally fine. Indeed, indeed. I'm I'm fine, but not fine. <laughs> yeah, so this has been great. I definitely feel better for saying all these things out loud. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being my first guest and for the brilliant idea for the show. And we will talk soon. Thanks. And yeah, see me lurking in the background. Thank you for listening to Totally Fine with Tiffany Philippou. Hosted by me, Tiffany Philippou. Anna Coggiorado is the executive producer. Editing and mixing is by Chris Bannister. And you may recognise us because we've also got another show called Is This Working? So you can check that out too. And if you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast app. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review as that really helps more people find the show too. Thank you.